So if you put the person in the position of injury with freedom to move versus lying down, their body can recreate the torsion that's in their body and correct it themselves. We don't call it craniosacral. I teach techniques in craniosacral therapy, techniques in myofascial unwinding, but it's really called dynamic body balancing because that's all you're doing. You're connecting with the person and then you dance with them. Only they're the leader, you're the follower. This is Pros Talk Pregnancy, the no BS show that's not afraid to get real about all things pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and beyond. I'm talking with visionaries and game changers who are challenging the status quo and changing the world one pregnancy and one birth at a time. I'm Lindsay McCoy, mom of four, lover of the mountains, seeker of knowledge, exercise physiologist, birth doula, and childbirth educator. Basically, I'm an all-around pregnancy and birth nerd. My passion is making pregnancy, childbirth, and recovery better and empowering professionals and families alike. Are you ready? Let's go. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Dr. Carol Phillips. Now, Dr. Carol Phillips is the originator of some techniques that if you've been in the birth world for any amount of time, you've likely ran into. So I wanted to go directly to the source and talk to Dr. Carol Phillips about these techniques, how they came to be. She is an amazing storyteller, so you're not gonna want to miss the stories behind these techniques. The sideline release, the forward leaning inversion, to just name a two of her techniques. Carol is a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of information, and just listening to her, you can gain so many helpful nuggets to work into your your work with birthing people and with pregnant people. So I invite you to grab a cup of tea, sit back, go for a walk, and just enjoy listening to all that Carol has to share with us today. Dr. Carol Phillips has been teaching postgraduate classes on cranial sacral therapy and myofascial unwinding throughout the US, Canada, and the United Kingdom, Spain, Belgium, and New Zealand, amazing, since 1991. In 1997, the demand for additional hands-on experience led to the incorporation of workshops that gave not only chiropractors, but massage therapists and body workers from all disciplines an opportunity to expand their skills in manual therapy. As workshops continued to grow and change in the presentation from a passive type of body work to a more dynamic interactive therapy session, the name of the work was changed to reflect the more integrative approach to body work. Now called Dynamic Body Balancing, this 100-hour program is offered in various locations throughout the U.S. And I've had the opportunity of, I think I've been to two now, right? Carol, I can't remember. It's been, been a couple. That's right, you have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's been amazing. So welcome, Carol. Thank you for coming on. Well, thank you very much. I'm honored. So fun. So I like to just start by, I like to hear people's tale. Like, tell me how you got to do the work that you're doing today. Oh my gosh. <laughs> just um, like the brief synopsis. You want me to like go back 30, 40 years. <laughs> yeah. Just like, uh, so you started yeah, as a well, chiropractor, right? No, before that, actually I was in 
chiropractic school in California, and I had colleagues who were having uh, home births, and they asked me to come and take pictures because I was doing some freelance photography. So I did, and back then, long before Klaus and Klaus wrote their book, uh, Mothering the Mother, and brought in the term doula, um, I attended the birth and just called myself a labor support person. So I took pictures, and then um, as I attended many, many births, there would be problems, like I hurt, my leg hurts, my back hurts, uh, whatever it was, and I would have to figure out what's wrong. And having the background, you know, as I was in, in school learning chiropractic, I would just have to figure out why is her leg hurting and what can I do to make it better. So that's kind of how it started. I also took um, a class for, with Upledger. He was brand new, brand new. That was a brand new um, profession that was developing in cranial therapy. And I started incorporating that work as well as chiropractic. And it just kind of evolved over the next 20 years. I attended hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of births, both home and hospital. And it was through that experience of being there from the beginning of labor through like 12 hours after labor, uh, many times I would um, just have to figure out what to do to help the mom. So eventually, instead of taking pictures as much as I was helping them and working on the midwives that were there if it was a home birth, because it's rough uh, attending a birth. It's physically exhausting. And the dad who's giving Manuel uh, labor, he's also helping her through it. So uh, it just kind of evolved from that. Just most of the births, they went into labor, they had contractions, they had a baby, not much to talk about. It was the few vacations that I really learned from. So I got my experience in the field, as you'd say. I love that. I think that we learn, there's there's a lot we can learn by books and video, but there's something very unique about attending a birth and going into that, I call it the labor flow state, going into that place with this family and kind of the combination of the science and the, you know, thinking brain and that intuitive intuitiveness that we need. It's kind of emerging of, I don't know what you call it, like the spiritual and the scientific, right? Yeah. Going together. I um, luckily had that left brain training, you know, education. But when you go into a birth, your pheromones start Mm. flowing and you totally change in that environment. The energy changes, Um, your pheromones change. You start caressing her. You do things you would never do Mm, under normal circumstances, you know, uh, mothering the mother. You know, I'm, that, I'm sure that's how Klaus came up with that title for their book, because that's what you do. You instinctively start mothering the mother. And when you have to also keep your left brain in, if you're the midwife or the birth attendant of any kind, you have to take records. You have to think left brain. You have to figure out what to record and what to do and how to save this mom and baby. You know, And so incorporating the two, very happy. Oh. birth attendants who handled that end of it. And all I had to do was focus on her and the dad and the kids, you know, that were there if it was a home birth. And I got to be a little mouse in the corner 
just observing like I'm there, but I'm not there, mm-hmm. you know, and, and only mm-hmm. step in when asked, you know, or for advice or giving little recommendations or just mothering the mother, you know, putting on candles or um, putting on a cold rag on her forehead and those kind of things, as well as structurally stepping in when something's really going wrong. Yeah. And and, and you're, you're kind of the expert on that, understanding kind of what to do with the body, both during pregnancy, during birth, postpartum. I know you work on a lot of babies. You teach people to work on babies. So I'd love to hear just for those not familiar with your work, a lot of them might actually be even using techniques that you came up with, not realizing the source. So I was like, we had to get, we have to get the source. Like Carol Phillips, we need to talk to Carol Phillips. So tell me, first of all, dynamic body balancing, that's the name of your work. So what do you mean when you say, like, what does, what does dynamic body balancing entail? Like when someone comes to a dynamic body balance balancing session, what happens, what's going on? Well, I, um, tell the people that I train that they are facilitators. They are not healing anything. They are not curing anything. They're not treating anything. They're simply facilitating the person that they're working with to uh, find imbalances within their own system and correct it. So we work with the person to balance their legs, their arms, their torso, their cranium, anything that might be pulling their body out of balance, out of homeostasis. And um, we just, I just teach tools to do that. How can you facilitate their body to recreate an injury that they're still suffering from? Now, they may not know it, because it may have happened while they were in utero. It may have happened during their birth process, when they fell down the stairs, when they fell off their bike, when they were skiing and on and on and on, you know, just kind of like dominoes and builds up. But certain injuries, I mean, we have many, many injuries, but some can be holding us back today and we don't even realize it because we have a system within our body and innate intelligence to compensate all the time, compensate, compensate. And so we're always compensating until we can no longer compensate. And we look straight. We look balanced on the outside. As a chiropractor, we might take their x-rays and go, oh, you are so far out of balance. Your pelvis is torqued. Your spine is rotated. You don't look like that on the outside, but it's affecting you on the inside. And you don't know it until the nerves stop functioning properly to the organs. And eventually the organs stop functioning properly. And then it's a little late. You know? yeah. So our job is to facilitate a release of the fascia, which is a membrane that covers every muscle in your body, every organ in your body. And if that fascia should be twisted, it's going to affect the way the nerves and the blood flows in and out of that organ, that muscle, whatever it is. So uh, just very simply... Um, distracting or compressing that uh, that fascia can facilitate a release of an injury and you'll recreate it. And you never know what's going to happen. You know, it's totally up to that person's body to decide this is what I need to release today. This is what's priority for me today. And so it's an adventure. 
every time we work with somebody, it's an adventure. We never know what's going to come up. Nothing may come up or they may just suddenly just burst out crying and they don't even know why, you know, but it's there. It's in the tissues. It's in the cellular memory and it's time. And of course, if it wasn't time to release that trauma, they wouldn't come to you. They wouldn't ask, you know, for you to be working on them. Um, So that's pretty much it, you know, just uh, balancing the body out. And, you know, I have to say, when I went to the workshops, I'm such a science brain person. And I'm always like, well, let's see, let's see about this, this, you know, this other technique or these other things, but I love learning and I want to learn from everyone. And it was so funny because we're, you know, we practice on each other in your workshops. And when they started practicing on me, I started rolling around the room. You know, I was just, I don't know if you saw, I was in the corner just rolling around and I think it was either you or maybe someone else's have you ever fallen down a hill? And I was like, I used to be a ski racer. I've fallen down hundreds of hills. So it was just really (laughs) interesting. Yeah. It was just interesting to see my body doing something that it maybe needed to recreate in order to heal from. And then I go, okay, I'm going to practice on my kids and my husband. And same thing. My, my kids go, are you moving my body or am I moving my body? (laughs) You know? So we actually, Mm -hmm. for people, um, listening in these sessions, you move, right. You're like, you could drop to the floor. You could maybe not move at all. You could have very subtle movements. Do you see like Carol, do you see just a very wide variety like you said, there you don't know what's oh, going to come up. You never know what's going to happen. And, and this is where, you know, a lot of people are very familiar with the term craniosacral therapy. Mm-hmm. And that's what I called it, too, because I, I followed the Upledger protocol, which is a, a, a wonderful technique for people. But it requires typically laying down on a, on a table, very quiet. You go to sleep, you wake up, you don't know what they did. You know, it's very, very still, very quiet. And... Um, Sometimes people will see our work and say, that is not cranial sacral therapy. That's why I changed the name because it's not like that. Uh, So, so many years ago, because I had a pediatric practice, try to get an eight month old to lay down still quiet so you can work on their head. No, it's not happening. Not (laughs) happening. They want up. They want up. And I had to figure out how to work with the body of a toddler running all over the place and you Mm. follow them around, you know, where you're not getting anywhere. And I finally learned that I had to sit them down, sit behind them, have the parents sit in front of them with some toys. And then I could work on their body in the upright position Mm. because they're playing with toys. And I found them slowly, almost as if they were hypnotized, start to move. And they would move in a way that you could see them in utero. You could mm. see the little crossed legs, the crossed arms, and and they would just go with it. It was quite surprising, quite surprising. They would uh, sometimes, little tiny babies, lift up and appear to levitate. You know, they would just come up and they would be weightless as we worked with them. And I would realize in utero, they were weightless. And suddenly their body recreates the environment that they were in. All of this was quite shocking that they would move like that. Um, And then I was up in Canada teaching university students cranial work, and I had no tables to teach it the way it was, you know, Mm -hmm. traditionally taught. So I had them sit in a chair like a toddler, and um, uh, we demonstrated 
doing the cranial, checking the cranial plates to see if the dura wrapped around the brain and spinal cord to see if it was balanced, were their muscles balanced. And to my shock, there were kids all over the floor, just like you mm. said. Yeah. Suddenly, they're off the stool. They're on the floor. They're in weird positions. And I thought, this is like mass hysteria. You know, what <laughs> is this? Like, and then on? they would say... I fell down a cliff and this is how I landed when I hit the cement embankment. This is how I fell when I went off my motorcycle. This is, you know, and they all had stories Mm -hmm. that their brain remembered. It triggered cellular memory. So they knew why they were in that position. And it suddenly dawned on me that if you get into the position of injury, which is typically sitting in a car, standing on skis, you know, you are yeah. upright. Unless you're on an operating table, you're typically not injured lying down. So if you put the person in the position of injury with freedom to move versus lying down, their body can recreate what's the torsion that's in their body and correct it themselves. And so that's how that developed. And that's why we don't call it cranial sacral. I have I teach techniques in cranial sacral therapy, techniques in myofascial unwinding, but it's really called dynamic body balancing because that's all you're doing. You're in connecting with the person and then you dance with them. Only they're the leader, you're the follower, you know, and you trust, they know what they're doing. You don't know what they have to correct. You don't know they went down the mountain skiing. You know, you don't know their history, but they do. And when you say to the person, I'm just going to let you go wherever you need to go and I'll follow you, subconscious takes over, cellular memory is released, and they recreate what's holding them back, the torsion within their body. Hmm. And every time it's different, you know, they may, they may recreate the accident they had last year. And then the next time they may go back five years and the next time 10 years, and they tend to go back chronologically to what's most important next to correct. Interesting. So their body knows, their body knows what they need. And you work with a lot of pregnant people. So um, do you see um, what are some really common signs that someone, I mean, I feel like, yeah, everyone should really do this work. We all have something, but like, are there some really clear signs? Let's think, especially pregnancy, since that's what we're focusing on. Are there some really clear signs that would point to you're out of balance or not, we maybe wouldn't say that to someone, let's go see some a dynamic body worker, you know, like what are some right. things that show up? Well, in the first trimester, we look for um, an imbalance in the hormonal system. They're, um, they should be nauseated. They should have breast tenderness. Oh, yes, I think I'm pregnant. You know, I feel pregnant. And but they should not be vomiting. They should not have uh, uh, hyperemesis or where they're vomiting to the point that they have to go to the hospital and be hydrated. Um, they shouldn't be so sick they can't function. You know, that's telling me there's an imbalance in the cranium and the pelvis affecting the hormones. And um, and they shouldn't be totally unaware that they're pregnant. They should not say, I love being pregnant. I feel nothing. I don't have any breast tenderness. I feel good. I'm not nauseated. I have no morning sickness. And then you go, Ooh, that's not good either because then there's not enough hormones. Um, so makes for a great pregnancy makes for a terrible delivery. 
-hmm. because there's not enough hormones to kick that uterus in to help bring that baby out. So the medical profession has to step in and they use Pitocin. And then that's so violent, they have to use epidural and it's just a downward spiral. So in the first trimester, we look for that. Yeah, second and third trimester pain, any form of pain is something wrong. There shouldn't be any pain, no back pain, no leg pain, no rib pain. All of that is telling us that the pelvis is rotated because the legs are rotated and the uterus now is rotated. So that baby has to affect the uterus in any way they can. And if that means getting up under the ribs on one side, if that means going down into the hip, into her pelvis, to press against her hip and the nerves going down her legs or um, causing her to be have heartburn, any pain, any yeah. discomfort. If they, oh, let's take a look now because it's the baby who's suffering, not just the mom. The baby is out of position because the uterus, which is anchored to the pelvis, the uterus is out of balance. So if that means to fit within there, the baby has to put one leg behind their back and one leg in the front, that's going to torque their cranium. They are not going to get out like that. But if that's what they have to do to fit, that's what they'll do. So then, you know, that third trimester, we pay attention to the baby. Does the baby roll and turn and just float and like, you know, they're just having a good time in there? Or do they punch? Do they kick? Um, because they'll punch when they're stuck. The, the uterus is really tight. The muscles are twisted um, tight around the baby. So they punch trying to get their arm free or their leg free. Um, so if there's any you know, the mom knows. The mom says, what are you doing in there? You know, why are you pushing on me like that? They're saying, help me, help me, help me. Um, so that's always, always an issue. And mom should feel good. She shouldn't have high blood pressure. She shouldn't have headaches. Uh, anything that others will say, oh, that's normal. Lots of women have that. I have lots of women who that's it's no, it may be common, but it is not normal. So Anything that's pain or discomfort or just emotional, if the mother's emotion changes dramatically, her personality changes, she's irritable, she's cranky, she doesn't want to do this anymore, I want this baby out, I don't want to do this anymore, that means that's the baby saying, I am uncomfortable connecting with the mom uh, and saying, get me out of here, I am uncomfortable, I don't want to be in and, and intuition, a mother's intuition, we've taken that so much away from women, saying someone else knows more. The doctor knows more. You know, somebody knows more. And that's not true. The mother's instinct, her intuition is the very first thing we have to listen to because mothers know if they just trust, you know, right. trust what they know. Mm hmm yeah, I think some of our job is just to teach them that they are in charge and teach them that they know and teach them to trust that intuition because they're going to need that to parent this child. They're going to need to tap into their intuition for many years to come. So I think sometimes pregnancy and birth is a really good way or time to just give people back their power, right? It's just right. the medical world oh, so sometimes. The medical couldn't take that away. You know, yeah. we took that away and said, we'll take care of you. You know, you're a machine. You happen to be a vehicle for this baby. <laughs> but that's right. not true. Yeah. You're not just a vehicle for the baby. And the baby communicates with you. And as a parent, as you're, you are a parent the moment you conceive, 
um, you're also having a lesson in letting go. This episode is brought to you by the Body Ready Method, our game-changing, interactive, fully online course for perinatal and birth professionals who want to elevate the way they serve their clients. We teach you how to help your clients prepare their bodies for a more functional pregnancy and efficient birth, and teach you what to do when, during birth, through the lens of birth biomechanics. Gain confidence and new skills to support your clients. Sign up for the waitlist for our next cohort at BodyReadyMethod.com. Letting go of control. You know, you think you have control. You're going to control. When you get pregnant, you're going to control. How your pregnancy is, you're going to control. Who's going to be there at the end, you're going to control. How it's going to go at the end, and you want control. And we think we are going to have control over our children. We're going to be the perfect parent. We are going to treat them like this. They're going to respond like this, and we're going to have perfect children. And what a shock. By the time they're three, when you find yeah. out you don't have control. <laughs> yeah, I have a teenager respond. now. I so get it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. you got to learn. You do not have control over everything. You uh, look at all your options. You make your best bet. You know, you make a plan. And then you know that that plan is going to change. Yeah, and, yeah. And we stack the cards yeah. in our favor. We do our best with what we're given, including all of these tools. And then we you know, let go. Exactly. And we let go and let God, they say, just let yeah. go and let God, you know, they always say what, you know, tell God your plans and listen to him laugh. Yeah. Know, because yeah. The, the, <laughs> the baby has so much more control than anybody realizes. They're realizing they're the ones who control uh, the secretion of the hormones. So many births um, that I'd get to, and it would stall out. We're at home births, at hospital, they don't let you stall out. You know, you're mm-hmm. on a time schedule. But yeah. so many home births where we're exhausted, we're tired, and all contractions stop, you know, and you just get discouraged. Like, don't stop. We want to finish. But no, this baby is saying, give me a minute. Yeah. I, I got to get my hand down. Um, and it was like, go to sleep. Everybody go to sleep. Take a nap, you know, and we all lay down around the mom, let the mom lay down three hours. She wakes up and boom, baby's ready to come, you know, and yet we're, we don't give moms those breaks. Yeah. And the we baby think there's something wrong, break. maybe, right? Did we think, yeah. well, there's a break, so there must be a stall and maybe, right. but maybe not. Right. No. Yeah. And I mean, having patience to let the baby run mm-hmm. the show, you know, so start, funny. stop, start, stop give me a break. I need a minute, you know, uh, and moms need to eat something, take a little nap. Uh, and the, the most unfortunate thing we have is what we've done in the medical profession and they have no option. Let me tell you a story. I, yes. um, I love to tell I my love stories. Your stories. <laughs> I was at a birth with a, in the hospital, they had no bathtubs. So there was no taking a bath, getting in water in, in this particular maternity ward. And our midwife was from Europe. She was trained in Europe. And she, you know, was trying to help us out. It was going slower than the hospital staff liked. And the mom was like, but I just want to get him water. You know, I just really think it would help if I could just get him water. So the midwife, you know, it's late at night, 11 or 12, and she sneaks us off the floor. 
we go and we sneak out and we go up to another floor in the hospital where they had a whole row of little rooms that had just bathtubs. Mm. And there's just enough room for us, you know, a foot or two in front of the bathtub. Bright light, can't turn the lights out. You know, we always light the lights down. Yeah. Um, but the mom gets in this tub and relaxes and she said, I just don't get it. Why are they pushing me? Why can't I just do it in my own time? And the midwife said, honey, if you want a real romantic dinner with your husband, don't go to McDonald's. Right. I just started laughing. Don't yeah. go to McDonald's. And it was like, and then she she quietly explained to us, she goes, We are under a time thing. We wait and wait and wait to admit you until we're pretty sure you're, you know, going to actually go through labor. Because once we admit you, we've got 12 hours to turn over your bed. 12 hours, you have to have that baby out and you're over to the maternity ward and off of the labor ward. And she said, and so, you know, that's why we hold off as long as we can to make sure because you can't stop. You can't stall. You can't take a break. You can't go to sleep. You know, we're pressured. And as midwives, they have OBs who are in control over them. The OBs have administrators who are over them. You know, everybody's got somebody. The administrators have lawyers telling them what to do. Right. You know, so everyone is having someone tell them what to do. And when, you, uh, when you're at a home birth, um, you take the risk as well that the midwife has to go to another birth. Or right. she's at a birth and she can't come. You know, so there's always that you take a chance either way, you know. But bottom line is it's the mom and the baby just doing what they need to do in the time that they need to do it in. And if they can get in a situation where people give them that time. And of course, in a hospital, mothers don't realize they have the option to say no. Right. It's presented to you like you, you have to do what we say. And I've had so many strong mothers who say, no, no, you're not putting that on. No, I'm not going to do a C-section. No. And, and sometimes I've had to step in and say, wait, you're getting a little too strong. Yeah, Maybe yeah. you ought to look at their point of view, you know, and then I have to help them see that they have good reason why they want to do this or they want to do that. But so you can't be adamant either, you know, all about, no, 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 you can't do it this way and that way. If you, I, I find if you choose to go to the hospital and you hire birth attendants, you have to be able to work with them because they have right. people telling them what to do. It's their license. If you choose to do a home birth, you have to take responsibility for your choices, you know, and right. what happens. And if you have to transport, um, it's always a, it's always a, you know, a given that you've got to know that everybody has somebody telling them what to do. So true. So mm-hmm. I want to segue a little bit though, cause I really want sure. to ask you, so I, um, you have created or come up with a couple techniques that I mentioned at the beginning people may have heard of because they have been popularized over the last couple of years. So let's just, I just want to hear how you came up with them. The first one, can you tell us kind of a little basically what it is and, and how you came up with it is the forward leaning inversion. So I'll say the forward leaning inversion, I think was popularized through spinning babies and Gail spinning babies took your course. Is that correct? Right. I trained her so many years ago. Yeah. She took my class. Yeah. She took it several times and a lot in the beginning, it was for her own healing. 
which yeah. is so common. You know, people All come to us. the class and they think it's so they're, they can learn to take care of others when in fact they're there because they need the healing. But as far as the forward leaning, I, I called it inversion because you're inverting the mom. Mm-hmm. She changed it to a forward leaning technique because it sounded really good. <laughs> it really explained what you're doing, right? Yeah. Inversion, uh, which was really cool. But uh, that came about, as I said, in the field. In this case, I didn't attend the birth. I, um, it was a home birth. And the midwife called me. After the fact, after the birth, baby's in the hospital. They won't release the baby. It's under observation where they had transported. And she said, will you come and uh, pray over the baby? <laughs> uh, here I'm doing this on a podcast. Yeah. Uh, when I <laughs> go to check a baby, it would be, I, they, the, the staff would be told someone's coming in to pray over the baby. And sure enough, we are praying, you know, dear God, show us what sure, to do. Yeah. But the work doesn't look like anything. It's, you know, just kind of hands-on healing. Subtle, yeah. And um, she said, will you come? But first of all, she said, and will you help me understand what happened? She said, we were at home birth. It was uh, five hours plus of pushing where the mom was upright, hanging on her husband over his shoulders, you know, and, and bearing down and bearing down. And after about five hours of pushing, the baby's heart rate started to drop. They called 911, which is appropriate. You know, when mm-hmm. things look eminent and dangerous, you call 911. And um, paramedics showed up. Now, this was a family of chiropractors who lived on a big house up on a hill. So the paramedics taking their gurney had to go up some steep stairs of the lawn. Uh, There was a section where the stairs were being repaired. So they had to climb up onto a a ledge of the stairs and then go up steep stairs to the house, in the house, up the stairs to the upper level where the mother was on the floor in the landing. And they put her on the gurney, head down, strapped her on the gurney, took her down the stairs out the door, down the steps at the, of the yard, the steep yard, over the section where there weren't any steps, on the rest of the steps, down into the ambulance. And as they put the gurney in the, in the ambulance, the baby came out and mom's still strapped. <laughs> and it was kind of a freak out time for everybody. You know, baby looked fine, according to the midwife, but the paramedics didn't know what to do. They grabbed the baby and they rush to the hospital. They take the baby in, and Dad is looking through the window of the emergency room door because they wouldn't let them in. And um, they hooked the baby up to all kinds of monitors. And then came out and said, what's your insurance? And Dad said, we don't have any insurance. They went in and unplugged the baby and took everything off Mm. and just said, we're keeping the baby for observation. So when I went in, I had my hands over the baby's cranium. Dad had his hands uh, under the sacrum right between the legs and was just Mm. stabilizing the sacrum. And mom had her hands over the baby's torso. So it was just hands on. That's all we did. And baby pinked up. Baby was fine. They released us and they went home. Everything was fine. And, uh, And then I had to go home and figure it out. The midwife is saying, was it the fetal ejection reflex? Was it fear? How could that baby come out with her flat on the ground, on the the gurney, and after five hours of pushing? And uh, so I had to think anatomically, what Mm -hmm. happened? She's going down the stairs, head down. 
So gravity is stretching the uterus, which is full of water and baby, down toward her lungs, which is stretching the ligaments in the front of the uterus that's anchored to the pubis and the back of the uterus. Well, the broad ligament anchors around the entire uterus and anchors to her pelvis in the back, the sacrum and the ilium. Her ligaments that go from the cervix, which wouldn't open to let the baby out, were being stretched and pulling on her coccyx and her uh, pubic bone. And she's going down these stairs. It's stretching out all those ligaments with gravity. Those are now uh, balancing her uterus within her body. And when they laid her down, the pelvic floor completely opened because there was no more torsion Mm -hmm. in that uterus. And the baby was free to come flying out because it had already been ready. You know, it had been pushing, pushing, pushing against that cervix. And uh, I thought, that's brilliant. (laughs) Using gravity. so good. Yeah. Use gravity. So the next birth I did was a home birth. And um, mom said, you know, I know I'm pushing, but I just don't think the baby's coming out. I said, let me try something. And I said, just lean on the side of the bed and lean over here on the floor. And I put her butt above her head, you know, just having her lean down. And she got up. It was a matter of just minutes, seconds. She got up, sat down on the floor, leaned against the wall and had her baby. And I thought, this is brilliant. Yeah. Like (laughs) there's something to this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Continued to do that over and over and over again and time and time again. Uh, Now, typically in the beginning, I only did it if the baby wasn't coming out, you know, at the end, asynclitic, they're crooked. Uh, But then I started doing it uh, just as a routine to show them how to do it during pregnancy. So they were comfortable with it. So if something happened, the baby wasn't uh, progressing, they could invert. And, um, and then I had, I had a mom call me and it's late. I'm tired, been working all day. And she said, I've got so much pain. Uh, and I really didn't want to do a house call that late. And I said, do me a favor, go to your stairs, walk your hands down the stairs and just hang there, you know, if it feels good uh, for a minute or so, and and then call me back. And she called me and said, Oh, my God, I was hanging like a bat. (laughs) And (laughs) no pain. I feel great. I thought, Okay, why are we waiting till the baby comes out? Why aren't we realigning that uterus? Because that's all it was. Her pain was an indicator that she got twisted. And the uterus was twisted. And all she had to do was use gravity and the weight of the baby in the water to stretch out those ligaments, let the ligaments realign her pelvis and uh, let the baby get off of the nerve that it was pressing on. Doesn't make a baby come. It's not going to bring a baby out if you're not in labor and pushing. It's just going to realign the uterus and the baby. And, you know, some people have said, oh, but that'll turn a baby breech. And that is so not going to happen. A baby is not going to turn breech uh, unless the uterus is completely twisted at the bottom and they have nowhere to go. Um, inverting them is an old, old wives tale. They used to do it long ago, recommending people to lay on an ironing board upside down, mm. which is crazy. Try yeah. to get off that ironing board, right? But yeah. it did work <laughs> to turn a baby around. Right. <laughs> and that's yeah. why. So that's where that came from. And I love um, it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's such a gravity such and a, common sense. 
And it's such a cool technique. And, and again, like birth is our greatest teacher. It's so cool. So, and then the other ones, cause I love your stories. Cause I think it helps people to see more intuitively, like you can intuitively do this work. It's not every birth needs a plus B equals C or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's dynamic. Mm-hmm. Everyone's different. Um, the other yeah. one that you created was the sideline release. So can you talk to us about right. the sideline release? That's another well, that one I was at, I was at a hospital birth and the OB was watching me. And after the birth, he, um, he had me in the hall and he said, you obviously understand anatomy (laughs) really well based on what you were doing. So he said, I have to ask you something. He said, I was at a birth recently and the mom had horrible back labor and it went on and on and on. And she didn't want drugs, but she was having this back labor. And I, I finally, my gut said to stand her up. So uh, I, I had her roll over on her side uh, on the bed. And when she rolled over, her top leg fell off the bed. And I was right there to catch her. But he said, that baby turned right around and she laid back and delivered the baby. What happened? You know, after mm. all that time that the baby wasn't coming, wasn't coming, and she was in so much pain, anatomically, what do you think happened? And And then I had to go back to my anatomy of what I know and pieced it out and went, okay, if she's on her side on the very edge uh, so that she can drop her leg and not twist her body, if her pelvis and her shoulders are perfectly perpendicular to her spine, the pelvic floor, the respiratory diaphragm, the thoracic, those, those um, membranes that cross the body that support the organs, they're not going to be twisted. And when she drops her leg, she's using gravity to stretch the muscles that are anchored to her pelvis, her sacrum and her ilium. And it stretches and opens up those uh, joints, the SI joints. Sorry, I've got a frog in my throat. And um, gravity opens and flares the pelvis, the ilium, which brings the sacrum back, which opens the pelvic floor which stretches those muscles around the cervix and takes the pressure off the cervix so that the baby can back up and turn around. Because when the baby is posterior, their forehead is against the pubic bone and it's pushing their head back. So the back of their head is hitting the mother's sacral nerves. That's Mm -hmm. the back pain. And it's also painful for the baby because it's pressing their head backwards, putting pressure on their brainstem and all the nerve roots in their body. And so baby's in pain. Mom is in pain and she can take an epidural and block that message to her brain, but it does not help the baby. Baby's still in pain. So by dropping the leg, keeping her body perfectly perpendicular, you know, to her spine. So she doesn't twist those muscles that are supporting the cervix, um, just allows the pelvic floor muscles to expand, to stretch out, to take pressure off the cervix, which then allows the baby to back up, turn their head around and then come out the right way. And, uh, so it was an accident on his part, a wonderful accident. That's the way things happen. It's just (laughs) taking time to figure out anatomically what exactly happened. And then after that, you know, I was, I was, uh, called to mom. She says, I'm on the way I'm having contractions. She was supposed to stop by the office and get adjusted and then go on to the hospital. Instead, she goes, I have to go right in. I'm, I'm too far along. You know, it's really happening. I said, okay, I'll meet you at the hospital. 
So I get there and um, she said, she's crying and she goes, I know I'm not supposed to say this, but my back is really hurting. I'm like, what do you mean you're not supposed to say that? That's what I need to know. So let's try this. Laid her on her side, dropped her leg off and the pain was gone, turned back over, delivered the baby. You know, because wow. the baby was so ready, you know, it was right there, but was posterior. And mm-hmm. after that, it's like, okay, I'm teaching the mo- every pregnant moms and the dads would have to come in and I would show them how to do this by standing on one side of her. And then I would have her turn over and have the daddy do it or the partner may not be the dad, you know, whoever yeah. her birth partner is. And um, then he would do it or she would do it. And I would make sure they you know, supported the mom that she was balanced. And that I said, you need to practice this, you know, because I would later have people come in and say, oh, it was eight hours of horrible pain. And I would say, did you remember to do the sideline? And I was like, no, I didn't. I was in so much pain and my partner never said to do it. And I didn't have anybody else there. And you know, it was like, oh, so I would, I would, tell them, copy that page. It's in my book, you know, copy that page. I'm saying it step by step by step, what the partner should do um, to put her in that position to turn the baby around. She shouldn't have to go through back labor unless the cord is wrapped around the baby to where they can't turn around. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, stuff happens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it gets important for people to know, like we can't control every single thing. Like not every, not not every posterior baby is going to turn. And we have to trust. Sometimes I say like, you know, there's a lot we can do, but you know, babies in charge too. And sometimes they need something and we don't know why they need it. And so that's when we say, well, we did our best. We, I call it, we stacked the cards in our favor. And then, like we said early, earlier, we let go. Um, but it's about giving options. It's about giving, you know, these are really, not, they're not, not necessarily easy tools, but they're much easier, safer, and gentler than the standard things that we do when a baby's not coming. You know, we add force. We, yeah. <laughs> we, we do more things that do have higher risk. You know, I just right. did, I just did a post on Instagram yesterday and it was like, why, if a baby's not coming and someone's on their back, like our anatomy, it doesn't even make sense to be in that position. Can we flip them to their side? Can we come onto hands and knees before we do something like Pitocin? It seems so simple, but it's takes a yeah, lot. And, you know, it, uh, unfortunately, um, you know, birth is mass produced. Birthing yeah. is mass produced. And um, it's easier for people if a mom does an epidural, she's quiet, she's watching TV, the nurses can watch the monitor, you know, because they have to have a, an ultrasound on, they can watch the monitor from the nurse's station, they can watch four or five women at the same time from the nurse's station. So it's gotten to where that's so much easier. And moms think, well, if I'm relaxed, the baby's relaxed, it, you know, that's their common sense, they think that um, if she's relaxed, baby's relaxed, and why should you go through pain? You know, in today's yeah. world, why should a mother go through pain? When in fact, you you block that message, you know, if you are in pain, you do nothing to stop it. So if you do nothing to stop it, you're not helping that baby, because you're not giving the baby endorphins. You know, the every time you have a contraction, you intuitively release endorphins, which are natural painkillers. A mother in natural labor toward the end, she's on another planet. 
she leaves us during the contraction. She is gone and then comes back, you know, after the contraction, like, where, where was I, you know, what's going on? And, um, and yet if they're in pain, we know, okay, we have to do something. Is the pain in your leg? Is the pain in your back? You know, all of this gives us an idea of what's going on. But if you don't know what to do, then, you know, like if you're not trained to reduce the pain in her leg, unless you give her a drug, then that's what you're going to do. You're yeah. going to use the tools that you're trained with. And so that's where moms are starting to learn. I need someone who has some other tools right. that can not only help me emotionally stay focused, stay relaxed, someone who will turn out the lights and, you know, get me into that limbic portion of my brain. Um, but someone who can also be trained to go, well, let's try laying on your side. Let's try dropping your leg off and see if we can open the pelvic floor. If we can take care of the mom and the baby while they're still in utero, you know, not wait till after the fact, but moms don't know that, you know, they just like, I don't want to have pain. I don't need to have pain. Just do something. And we've moved into that type of society in so many cases. Mm -hmm. And I've seen you work. So I was fascinated when I saw some videos of you working with babies with things like torticollis, you know, latch issues. So, so you believe, and I know you said this earlier that, you know, the baby, you know, if they are navigating the space, you said sometimes they'll put their leg behind them or they tip their head to the side. So you see, then these babies struggle because they're out of balance, correct? Correct. So yeah. baby, yeah. So what, so how, so, so you do the same work with babies. And oh, so you're sure. saying so we can, much easier. it's so much easier. <laughs> yeah. I guess they have less they're to so unwind. Tiny. <laughs> they're, well, they're so tiny. That's you know, true. you're going to, if you're going to stretch a leg, stretch a little bitty leg, you know, that's true. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but you're yeah. saying we can, we could possibly in theory, we can prevent some of that stuff by, well, maybe not in theory, you see it, we can prevent some of the baby's imbalances by balancing the pregnant person, right? Exactly, exactly. Once we realize that um, they're going to stretch their arms and their legs and they'll stretch out as the uterus expands and the uterus will expand as the muscles of the front side and back of the mom move freely. When everything moves freely, the baby can do all the stretching it needs to do. And then gravity and innate reflexes will help the baby automatically all by itself go head down around the seventh month they lose some amniotic fluid nobody knows how but it cuts itself down and then gravity affects the baby and the heaviest part of their body is their head their cranium their brain they go head down with gravity and then um, they snuggle in they automatically pull their legs in they pull their arms in if they've got the freedom to move they have reflexes that get them in that position then they have primitive reflexes that help them maneuver through her three pelvic floor muscles Um, If they can, if they're not distorted, if that uterus is tight and the muscles are tight and everything's twisted, they're just going to do what they have to do. So I got so tired of having a pediatric practice where I'm 
working on the babies, working on the babies. And then I asked their history. I always ask the mom, the pregnancy history. And, and it's, oh, I had so much pain in my ribs or I had so much pain in my back or I was miserable when I was pregnant. Well, that's like, well, no wonder this is what we're looking at with the baby now. And finally, it was like, we've just got to focus on the pregnant mom. And ideally, we focus on um, the person before they even get pregnant. Isn't that the ideal? You know, balance. Yeah. Nutritionally, chemically, structurally, get your body ready. You know, so when I'm working on young girls who are doing judo, um, cross-country skiing, (laughs) racing, uh, boxing, uh, it's like, oh, my goodness, don't ask a baby to grow within this body until you get yourself balanced back out. Cause those sports put torque in your body as women, uh, we weren't designed to play football. We weren't designed to box. You know, yes, we want to be just like the guys and as strong as the men, but we weren't designed to do that because we want balance in our pelvic floor muscles, in our respiratory diaphragm, balance in our cranium. So we have the right amount of hormones going in the right place at the right time. And that kind of torsion from your sports history or your injury or your own birth. You know, when people say, well, I was a C-section, my mom almost died. Well, then I know you have torque in your body if that affected her like that. And you just grew up with it. You just accommodated and, and adapted and, you know, your body's constantly trying to correct things uh, by torquing somewhere else. And uh, the ideal thing is to prepare your body prior to pregnancy so you give that baby the best chance to grow in a a healthy environment so they can do what they need to do so they can grow up and live to their potential. But in today's world, with the intervention we have, you know, uh, what kids are having to uh, endure today after being induced and have epidurals so they have to go through the pain of birth and afterwards, and they grow up with that, what well, we can only do what we can do. And if we can help balance the moms before they get pregnant, during pregnancy, we give that baby the best chance. If she doesn't have pain, she won't ask for drugs. You know, if the baby comes easy, quickly, um, yay, you know, and sometimes they don't. If, um, my, I had not had birth trauma, which I did. That was extreme. I wouldn't have grown up very, very ill until chiropractic. If I hadn't had difficult births with my own two kids because of my structural imbalance, um, I would not have endured six years of medical care for my daughter, who was eventually cured of her condition, which was supposedly incurable by a chiropractor. And if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't have investigated taking my students who were emotionally behaviorally disturbed kids and autistic to that same chiropractor and he treated them and I documented it and eventually knew I had to be a chiropractor. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to listen to me as a mom. You know, I had to be a chiropractor Uh, and all that history, my history, my birth trauma, my kids' birth trauma led me to be motivated to devote the rest of my life to avoiding birth trauma for others. So, you know, when people have a really tough birth and things go wrong and they didn't get what they wanted, you have to stop and say, what's the journey? Yeah. What are you doing with this? You know, what so do you true. learn from this? When you take your baby to get treated 
and you are inspired to, to do the same type of work, didn't that baby put you on your path? So, you know, sometimes that's part of the journey, the birth trauma. It's so true. I think a lot of, I think a lot of birth professionals, yeah, a lot of birth professionals come out of that. Not all of them, but I know for me myself, you know, my first birth wasn't what I thought, or I joke, it's not what Ina May told me it was supposed to look like, you know, Ina May Gaskin, the midwife, she, <laughs> oh, this yeah. is not what she said it was supposed to be like, you know? And so, um, it, I'm just a researcher and I was like, there's gotta be more to this than that. And so I went on this journey and then I found, I know you, you used to work closely with the midwife who attended then my next birth, who's no longer with us, Jeannie Bazil. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, she was a big part of my journey. You know, I wouldn't do this work. You know, I was this poor, you know, my husband was in grad school, you know, I was with, you know, one kid trying, we're just trying to scrape by. And we have found this midwife who gave us this amazing payment plan. I would have never been able to afford that birth without her. Um, my insurance, you know, state medical assistance did not, um, cover home birth. And I, you know, I found this angel (laughs) and she, uh, she brought me into the world. And then after that birth, I said, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. (laughs) You know, like this is, this is Mm -hmm. my path. So yeah, there's, there's, there's a purpose. There's a purpose for things. Um, I think that's right. And it gives you that motivation. You have the choice to take that and do something with it or not, but yeah, but there's a path and, and sometimes our babies and their births are the path. You know, my daughter um, that was sick for so six years, you know, and, and had an incurable condition, lived on drugs and surgery and stuff, um, grew up to become a cranial sacral therapist. And the last 25 years, Angel, my daughter Angel, has had a practice doing nothing but babies. Amazing. And it was her, her motivation to help babies, you know, avoid trauma and help moms. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was all part of her path as well, you know, and so... You always that. have to say, well, if someone had helped Angel when she was a baby, it would have saved her all those years of suffering and saved me all those years yeah. of having a, a sick child. But it would not have motivated me. Yeah, that's so true. So Carol Phillips lives way out in the middle of nowhere, and we lost connection at the end of our talk. But I want to say thank you, Carol, if you're listening for that amazing talk, for sharing your perspective, for sharing your wisdom from so many years, so many births, working on so many bodies. We are honored to speak with you and for everyone listening, keep learning. You saw that Carol has learned so much just by attending births, just by using her thinking brain, using the science knowledge and the anatomy knowledge coupled with some intuition to find what works for the people that she's working with. I encourage you to do the same. Keep questioning, keep learning, keep growing and keep supporting every birth. You learn something you grow. And, um, the other thing I want to leave us with is, you know, prepare your people ahead of time, give them tools, give them tips, give them things they can do to prepare their, both their mind and their body. It's going to stack their cards in the favor to have a more efficient birthing process. Thank you for listening to Pros Talk Pregnancy, the podcast. We are passionate about making the childbearing years better. And as professionals, when we work together, that is when we see the greatest shifts. So thank you for being here with us. 
please consider leaving us a rating and a review. This really helps us to get this important paradigm shifting information out there to those who need it. Also, if you are a game-changing perinatal or birth professional, or you know someone who is and would be interested in coming on the podcast, we want to hear from you. Please reach out at podcast at bodyreadymethod.com. As always, I am so honored to be here with you. See you next time.